Episode 2, Season 2 of Let's Be Nerds. I'm your host, Stephen Jay, and today I have a all-male panel, which is the first for this podcast. Um, we are talking about a card game that has been sweeping the friend group. Um, I guess you could say it's pretty popular among other people, but specifically in our little group, it has become very, very popular. And I can't wait to talk about it and learn a little bit more because I am a noob and I have with me a group of people that I think can definitely help educate not only me, but you, the listener, as well. With me today, I have Gordon, I have Dylan, and I have Eric. And we are talking about Magic the Gathering. Gordon, how are you feeling, my friend? Are you excited? I am. I'm also really tired right now, but I'm going to work through that and uh, talk about some magic and learn some more because I feel like learning something new today. Well, I feel like if there's anything that can revitalize you, it's going to be magic because you seem, over the last few weeks, you seem pretty excited about it. So I think this is going to be a nice little. Um, bump for you. I hope so. We'll see. Dylan, how are you, buddy? I'm good. It's been a pretty boring day, in all honesty. Well, we're about to change that, talking about some magic together. The ga- Why do I always say magic to gathering when it's the gathering? I'm telling mm-hmm. you, it's a Mandela effect. You can just call it NTG. That's what most people have shorthanded it to. I think I'm going to do that for... Uh, you know, so I don't get roasted in the comments. I think I might just say... Too MVP. late for that. Well, you know, the comments do be what the comments do. Um, but you are, quite honestly, like the ringleader of this going somewhat crazy in our friend group. Um, Dylan, you've created... I mean, I, I, maybe I can't say this because Drew may have been into it at the same time you did because you guys did grow up together. But now... It's passed on to Lazette, and it's passed on to Gordon, and then Eric separately has been into it for so long. Do you kind of feel a little bit of responsibility for MTG being such a popular topic right now? Uh, a, a little bit, because uh, me and Drew got into it in high school, and once we got out of high school, we kind of fell out of it, and then I met a couple guys that were really big into it about two, three years ago. And for, like, the last two years, I pretty much spend every Tuesday at a local card shop playing Magic with, like, 10 or 12 other guys there now. So you're, like, you're kind of on the front lines of of the resurgence, so to speak. Yeah. And then I kind of I dragged Drew and Lizette back into it. I had tried to get Lizette into it at one point, and it just didn't work out well. And then now she's big on playing it and stuff like that, and they're getting all their friends to play now too. 
which is awesome. And Lizette was supposed to be here with us tonight. Recording schedules and work schedules were conflict. But for those of you listening, Lizette actually wrote our outline for today's episode. So she is 100% here with us in spirit. Um, Eric, you are my only, well, I shouldn't say my only. You are one of my main connections to MTG. Uh, my cousins, when we were younger, were into it. But quite honestly, there was a, enough of an age difference where I didn't appreciate it for a card game. I just kind of thought the art was cool. And then you and I became friends and in our early 20s. And when you and I would have boys' night, you would take me to your cousin's house and different people, and we would play. And you were very good to me about me being such a noob. Like, you truly did make me feel like a loser for not knowing what I was doing. So you're kind of in a similar position to Dylan where you're keeping the MTG alive. And so are you excited about this episode? Tell me like what your thoughts are. Definitely excited for this episode. Uh, and I know whenever you reached out to me about being on the podcast, this is one of the things that you um, specifically asked about was anything about magic, the gathering that I could bring to, uh, the podcast and so you know i've been doing a little bit more research on it as uh you know from playing it for many many years and collecting cards it kind of became one of those things where it's uh you know just as simple as breathing (laughs) so i had to really learn how to do it you know to explain to people who have never really done it before so uh this is going to be beneficial for the new players and you know some of the other uh people that listen to the podcast that have played and they getting another take on you know deck building some theories about cards that's always uh that's always something fun to see and hear about so uh we'll see where this goes i'm excited i reached out to some of our other co-hosts just in general about future episodes and planning things and people that are not on tonight that are normally on the show that really didn't necessarily have anything to contribute Every answer seemed to be, we don't know anything about it, but we're so excited for this episode, just because magic was such like a cultural thing, and we're going to get into that in the episode, but it's like, there's people that are aware of it, just have never had the opportunity to play, and I think that's a really cool aspect that we're going to shed some light on, and maybe we can convert some people into MTG players by the end of this show. With that being said, Dylan, I'd like to lean on you to give us a little bit of a background, the origin story here. Um, so I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. Um, but as far as I know, the original creator and designer for MTG back in uh, nineteen ninety three, I believe, was Richard uh, Channing Garfield. And the uh, original idea he had for the game was called, I believe the original prototype was called a uh, Five Magics. And it was kind of something he started up with his friends when they were going to um, college for in between studying and stuff like that. He went to uh, University of Pennsylvania, actually. And um, pretty much started out as just a math card game a card game using math to kind of still be like they're learning and playing and stuff like that and then he started working for wizards of the coast 
1990, I believe, and they actually had him start designing a card game. He brought it to them and stuff like that. This was uh, right after some uh, lawsuits against Wizards were going on and stuff like that. And it was actually a really big thing for them to do because a lot of people didn't want to do it because they felt like it was um, too big of a game for such a small company at the time to do. But they decided to go with it, and it pretty much turned into the first collectible card game of its type. And it exploded in such a way that it actually killed... It It created a bunch of other card games that came on down the road. And it started a whole wave of nerds, I want to say. And apparently he designed magic decks, the rules of the games, to sort of be like D&D. They're customizable characters. They're, you could build a deck for any situation in any kind of way. And it, Magic has carried on that feel of it all the way to today. So, um, I'm actually curious. I, I, I'd like to hear from Eric um, on how you got started in Magic. Because I know you said you're kind of on and off. And you pretty much play and collect and you started recently again. Correct? Yes, yes. So, uh, I originally started into Magic. I was uh, just a wee young lad there, and uh, my brother had actually brought it back from none other than Boy Scout camp <laughs> after a summer camp there, and he gave me just this rinky-dink junk little red deck that was uh, all like proxies of cards that were played in a pro tournament. And then he had this really neat green deck, which I thought was super cool. It had spiders in it, which terrified the crap out of me at my being young. <laughs> I still don't like spiders. But um, yeah, he taught me how to play Magic. And from that point on, it was just amazing. Yeah, this, this awesome game, these amazing uh, uh, pictures for the cards. And every card has its own little quirk and what they did and looking at some of them whenever I was younger where like you would pay life to do stuff. I thought back then that was stupid, but now, you know, I've realized that pretty much everything you start with is a, is a tool you can use. And then, um, you know, moving forward the, uh, pretty much the only places I could get cards and decks were at like little bookstores or, you know, little game stores and not having, a lot of money being a little kid you know i'd save up all my money from birthdays and christmases that i didn't spend on other stupid things i would spend it on magic card decks and uh, yeah i still have a couple of those at least decks kind of made you know sitting in closets and places you know just as the nostalgia look back on it so awesome um for me starting it was I think pretty much senior year of high school, I had a um, science teacher that traded and kind of sold magic cards on the side and stuff like that. He'd always, he'd always, Mr. Haller would always be looking at magic cards when he should be teaching us. Didn't learn a lot in that class. Learned how to play magic, though. Because he used to build and sell little starter decks for like uh, a modern, uh, for a uh, format that was really easy to play and then bought cards on and off at like Walgreens and stuff like that little bookstores like you said Eric really didn't have a card shop to go to at the time or the money 
But um, stopped playing for pretty much four years. And then, like I said in the beginning, the last two years, I've made friends who were big into it, had a local game shop open up that has a great owner in it. And it just kind of exploded from there. I went from having one deck to I'm now up to 20, 22 decks milling about and a collection of well over 10,000 cards, I want to say. Just kind of exploded with the friends I had and stuff like that. That is Um, quite the collection. Yeah. Nothing compared to a buddy of mine who's been playing since Magic came out. I he's could imagine. Some nice ones. <laughs> he, yeah. he does. He's got some nice ones. He's actually started trading in a lot of the nice ones because he's like, the market's up and down and stuff like that. But he's like, I have all these magic cards, the expensive ones. He's like, I'm saving them for when my daughter graduates. I can get rid of them all and get her a semi-okay car or something like that. Wow. He's like, this is my daughter's little uh, trust fund, we can say. And I mean, if he was to turn in his whole collection, he could get a pretty penny for it. Wow. So it's almost like an investment. It can be. It is, it, it is honestly. Because you, you can have... Um, if Lizette was here, Lizette could tell you she's been going through cards for a, um, friends of her, a friend of hers from work. He had a bunch of older cards, and I went through with her, and we're finding, like, 60 70 $80 cards. I think she found, like, a $200 card. Just wow. just what he had sitting in a box and stuff like that. So anybody listening that has old cards, uh, get somebody that knows what they're doing to go through it, because you could have money in there, potentially. Definitely, definitely can. Even your Pokemon cards, too. Pokemon cards count. Any old card game that was popular at any time, you should look at what cards you have and find out. Because you'd be surprised with what has money in it. Steven, you mentioned earlier Eric got you into magic, or it was more along your cousins that got you into magic? Or So, I, I was the youngest of the cousins up here. So, I will have to say my first exposure to magic was through my cousin Mark. Very intelligent human. Um, very ahead. Like He was always kind of the cousin that was a few steps ahead. And we were about four or five years apart. And he really thought that I would have an interest in it. So he showed me and he he did his best. But quite honestly, I was so young. I did not fully grasp what was going on. I enjoyed the art. I enjoyed the idea of it, but I did not really understand how to play an actual game. I didn't really get a lot of the concepts. Um, When Eric and I became friends, he took me to some actual, like, situations where there, there was legitimate playing, and he walked me through some of it, and I was able to much better comprehend the concept of an actual game, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I would, I would credit Eric with kind of showing me that it was more than just a pretty card or pretty artwork. 
it was an actual event, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. And then last but not least, Gordon. Hi. Will awake over there? No, I am not. <laughs> I sort of know how you were introduced to magic, at least a little bit, because I missed out on it. Still very upset about that. Well, next time don't have the virus we run into, folks. I didn't, I didn't plan on it, so, you know. Well, I mean, it still happens. That's all. And, I mean, I, I would avoid Gordon if he was coming down to my area, too, Dylan. Don't worry. I would avoid myself <laughs> if I be honest with you, man. Well, Look, it's not even avoiding Gordon. I just want to play Magic, honestly. And any time I get to play with a new person is always fun. Because you get to confuse and make them ask questions, and everyone's learning new things. But Gordon, how were you introduced to Magic? Um, I went down to uh, Liza and Julie's house to have fun with her um, after New Year's for a couple days. And they taught me to play magic there. Um, Drew, Drew started off going easy on me. He uh, he let me pick his deck for him, so I picked just random decks. I gave him a, I think it was his um, white Viking deck, so human. Then I had uh, a green blue deck. He still won. Are you? Well, he he knew cards and stuff like that. Yeah, it got to the point where he kept bragging about that black deck that he has, and I was getting real cocky about it, so I said, fine, just use it, and then he played the rest of the deck. And I was like, yeah, well, that black deck's <laughs> only where it's at because of me. Yeah, Ooh. I will, he, they did credit you for a lot of what they had, so I can say that much. They, they oh. did or they didn't? They did. Oh, okay. Don't get me wrong, Lizette, I've helped very little. I've just given ideas and suggestions because we think very similarly, so we kind of build decks the same. Drew is a little... Anyone that's met Drew knows he's a little all over the place a lot more and has trouble finding a line in his thought process. But once you set him up on a goal and explain the goal... He's good. Like, he's gotten a lot better with that uh, mono black deck than what he used to be. Because all I did was give him a couple suggestions and kind of lead him in the way. I think you were playing Lizette's Merfolk deck. Yep, that's Lizette's Merfolk deck. Um, no, it's not. It's not? No, it's not. That was... Um, which one is that? that oh, I see. It's AC the Dire... Okay, yeah, I know which one that is. I forgot they still had that one together. That for those... For those listening, um, we will post this image that was shared amongst ourselves onto the Instagram so you can follow along. There is one more um, that I haven't shared because it, these are the two that I... I have a third picture somewhere because I was just genuinely impressed with how everything was going. Um, this, this, this game that I just posted really had me... Um, had me really pissed off, just to be quite honest with everyone. <laughs> Steve, um, Steve, I'll key you in, because these two will be able to see the cards with their bad quality, but you can understand my pain, but I had... This was the green-blue deck that I was getting yeah. well-versed in, that they kept letting me use. Drew's Kinnon deck, I like that one. That's a fun one he built. Yeah, it's a great deck. It was 
I, I honestly was having a lot of fun playing it, and I kept getting down Ulamog, the guy that, you know, one-hit KOs almost anything. Because of all the Just about. Very, very strong card for what he is. And the second that I get this card and put it down, um, Drew throws down his uh, some sort of binding, you can't use this card spell, and it comes useless. I get another really overpowered card. Um, sadly, you can't see it. It was it, one of them that had effect on it, so if I were to hit him once, I'd win because it would deal 10 effect damage. Ah, uh, the Blightsteel Colossus. It, yep. it would deal 11 effect damage, with 10 being the threshold you need to eliminate players. Yeah, I pretty much just... He, he blocked both of my heavy hitters, and after that, I had a fold because he he just destroyed me. Yeah, and it'd be like that in the game of Magic. <laughs> and the, that was probably the second game we played that kept happening. And the first game, or not the second, the second or third game we were playing, Lizette joined us for this game. The one that you see, uh, that first pitch right there has the dice on the commander there. Or dice on the commander I copied, which was Lizette at the time. It had the power to, uh, it was her Murpho deck, which you two yep. know. Or at least you, Dylan, know that her commander just keeps getting, hits heavier every turn. The more um, Murfolk she controls, the more energy she has, and a bunch of other, the more cards in her deck, the more her commander can hit for. The, the, the commander's power is equal to the amount of cards she has in hand. And she can pretty much pick up her entire stack to 100. Yeah, pretty much. Which, at this point in the game, she had it to almost 50, and I had to do something about it. But I, I, I was able to block with some card that banished it till it got out of playing field. And just that entire game with that first picture was me making it so that anyone who didn't have a flying creature or sea creature unable to attack. So Drew was just kind of sitting there farming for mana the entire game until... Stormtide Leviathan. Love the boy. Yeah, the, these... I had a lot of fun with the decks they taught me with. I, uh... I'm excited they're selling me a and d deck that I, uh... Kind of fell in love with for the last time. Oh, which one? Oh, I'm trying to think. I don't... Uh, do you remember the colors to it? Yes, it was... Mount... It was red, so mountain, I think, right? Yeah. Was it the red-green dragon deck? Yes, it was! I don't know why... That, I feel like that would be a deck you would like a lot. It's very much a straightforward... Beat them down deck. Oh, Red, green, fantastic color combination. I, I know that there's not a lot of explanations going on yet to understand what I'm going to say here. And we should probably get into that. But when I was playing that deck, guys, I... Oh my god. It was... So, there's um, a card that you can get in that deck. What's What it essentially does is it just... It copies 
each turn it cloned the card that it copied the first time you faced it. I had a 4-4 dragon that had to attack every turn if able. Each time it attacks, you roll a, ten, or a d20. If I get the higher roll, then the person takes 4-4 damage. I had about 10 of these 4-4 dragons all rolling a d20, so that's 10 d20s right there. I had a power that let me roll with advantage, so I was rolling 20 d20s almost every round. And it, it, That was the one game that I felt like I beat Drew without having to ask any questions, because it was based around D&D, and I understood what was going on. Yeah, that that is a really good starter deck for anyone getting into the game. And honestly, all the D&D... So that, that's a big thing D&D has started with... Um, I mean, sorry, MTG has started with uh, things now, is they release pre-made decks. Because originally you had to make decks on your own, but in a format that I'm a big fan of and that Drew and Liza was teaching Gordon, it's called Commander. It's a 100-card format. You basically take a single legendary creature card. has to be a legendary creature card. And you build a deck of 99 cards in the color combination of whatever creature you've picked. And you try to take 99 cards. Every card has to be different except for um, your basic lands, which kind of power your game. And... um. You basically have 99 cards, all different, that you work off of that have to synergize and work together to build an effective deck. And something that Wizards of the Coast started, which I really like, is they've started making pre-made decks for people who are starting. That was one of the first things I got, was a pre-made commander deck. And it honestly makes the game more friendly and less uh, intimidating to get into, I feel like. So, you for the person listening that has always wanted to play magic but has never really known how to start this is something you would recommend yeah oh definitely i definitely recommend pre-made decks uh the decks basically come with everything you need to play a game of magic you you would need two decks at least and another person that wants to play your little nerdy card game <laughs> they, they come with something to keep track of your life they come with a box to keep your cards in um and a lot of times it'll come with like a little pamphlet that tells you the purpose of the deck and what you want to do with the deck, which is really nice. Because, I mean, Eric, you said your brother started you out with a pre-made deck, right? Correct. How, how intimidating was it to finally go and make your own deck and kind of look at a bunch of cards and go, what the heck am I going to do with all of this? It's a little intimidating, right? It is very intimidating. And like I said, every card... Uh, just about every card has its own quirks and abilities, and uh, forming a deck that has true synergy uh, is kind of an art form. I mean, you can type it into a search engine, you know, uh, let's just take the random ability of uh, Exalted, and that yep. whenever you attack with one creature, it gives that one creature buffs by each creature, you know, whether it gives uh, that one creature first strike or plus one, plus one. So you need to really follow that synergy and not every card that really has that ability text will be the best in slot for that deck 
So there, there's a lot that goes on. It, it kind of feels like, at least whenever I make a deck, I kind of feel like a Charlie Day from um, uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, <laughs> like standing in front of that board, just explaining stuff, looking real crazy. But like, Same. it all makes sense to me at the time. I get it. But uh, Same. Uh, yeah, I, I just come off as a crazy hermit, but it all <laughs> makes sense to me. And, you know, just leave me alone whenever I'm deck building. <laughs> that, and that's one of the nice things about magic is everyone builds their their decks differently with different train of thoughts with different sets of cards like eric if me and you were to trade a deck you made 100 percent on your own and i was to play it i would probably be a little confused on some cards and certain synergies in it like why does this go with this or what does this do with this and you'd be the same with what i would hand you exactly and that's a big part of magic is everyone's deck is going to be different. Now, granted, there are, it's a term called net decking. You type up on the internet a certain deck and you build that deck. And then everyone else also builds that deck. And it's all the same. And it's played the same. People do that. It's frowned upon by some people. I think it's okay, especially if you're starting out and don't know where to go. Because, like... Like I was saying, it's intimidating to build a deck. Like, if I was to set Gordon down in front of my collection of cards, hand him a creature to build a deck around, I would be very curious to see how long it would take him and what he would come up with with what he has available to him. Sounds like a challenge for the next time I'm down there, Dan. I would gladly bring over a good chunk of my cards and go, here you go, build something. It's almost like it becomes a part of... Like, if, if I'm following what you're saying, Dylan, it, it's like the individual person's thought process, their personality, it becomes like an extension of them. So you enjoy seeing where somebody brings a deck because it may not be the same as what your thought process would be. Exactly. Okay, I gotcha. I love playing other people's decks or seeing other people's decks pop off. I'm not one of those people that get upset and go, oh man, I didn't win the game, that sucks. No, one of those people that... I will sit there and dirtle in a game and not win because someone else is doing something interesting in the play group. Like, oh, I want to see what that deck does because I've thought about building that. Don't know if anyone else does the same. I don't know if you do the same or not, Eric. It's entertaining to watch other people's stuff work and finally see their thought process. Like, you can learn a lot about a person by what kind of magic decks they bring to the table. Yeah, it can be very interesting. Especially in that format of EDH, where you're not playing one-on-one, -on -one, you're playing against four other people to see how one card would react, not just with your one opponent, but to the yeah. other three opponents on the field. That that adds a whole layer of depth to the game. Maybe I missed it, but what is EDH? Maybe you already said and I missed so, it. So, I didn't mention it. EDH is just another term for commander. Okay which is the format that I mainly play, all my friends mainly play, and stuff like that. It's a very non-competitive format for most playgroups. Okay. You can make it competitive. Um, EDH, I don't fully remember what the acronyms stand for. EDH meaning. I will look it up real quick. Um, okay, so it's called Elder Dragon Highlander. I don't know why they call that call it that. I guess it's because uh, all Elder Dragons are... It's a creature type. God, it's hard to explain magic without jumping all over the place and throwing out terms that people won't understand. 
But um, Elder Dragon is a creature type that is always legendary and stuff like that. Okay. And normally really strong cards. And it kind of falls back onto what I was saying earlier about Commander. You have the one legendary creature card you build around for your deck. Okay. Like, um, like in Gordon's pictures, the first one he shows, he has a commander that's built around uh, playing a lot of lands to get special triggered effects off of your cards and stuff like that. And then, like, his uh, second deck is a lot of making fast mana to then use your commander's ability, which lets you play big creatures off the top of your library. No, you're good. I just remembered um, the one thing I was complimented on with that second picture I sent um, with the green sleeves for the people who are looking at this picture. Um, I played over 10 or 11 creatures with 7 mana. Just enough to get my commander ability. And, and, and I just had just enough to keep going like that and, and they were... Every, Drew just kept looking at me like, you're doing way too much with way too little mana on your board right now. And then, oh god, Kinnon is so nice. Well, but, yeah, um... before, we keep, before we go on, it is time that we take a quick ad break. Um, today's sponsorships, uh, the show is possible because of Anchor, uh, Audible, you perfect and ESKA gaming and um we're gonna take a quick ad break and we're gonna hear from our first two sponsors and then we're gonna get back into it and you'll hear about the other two sponsors a little later on. So we will be right back. Internet privacy and internet security are two very hot button issues. Any active user of the internet understands that you are always taking a risk, whether it be your private Wi-Fi at home or a public Wi-Fi connection, you are always at risk for somebody potentially hacking and breaching your data. That's why we here at Speakeasley Productions and Let's Be Nerds have partnered with NordVPN. We believe the services that they offer are of tremendous value. We believe they have a customer-focused service regarding your internet security and your internet privacy, and we support them 100%. If you click the link in the description box below, you can see the services that we are able to offer to our listeners through NordVPN at somewhat of a discount in order to better secure your internet experience. Help us support the show and support NordVPN and the incredible work that they're doing by clicking that link down below. And we are back. So, for those of you listening, that first half was sort of to serve as an intro and an overview of what magic means to us, how we got involved, and the relevance that it has. So now we're going to transition a little bit into more of the technical side. So if magic is not necessarily your thing or something you're interested in, we totally understand and feel free to click off. But definitely check out the description box below because we do have some sponsors that we're going to be talking about later on in the show that you are more, more than welcome to use our discount code for. Um, but with that being said, 
I do think we need to give a little bit of technical information, setting up a game, what have you. So, Eric, Dylan, do you guys want to kind of walk us through like if what that looks like and how that goes? Eric, I think you had some stuff you wanted to say. Yes. So, um, getting a little bit more in-depth to the cards here. Um, we're just going to start off uh, the five basic colors. White plains, blue islands, black swamps, red mountains, and greener forests. These are your color identifications. So whenever you look at a card, uh, I have one pulled up here. It's the traditional Land of War Elves. Uh, the name is on the top left. Uh, how you cast it, which is the little symbol on the right-hand side, it costs one forest. That's what you would tap to play this card, essentially. Uh, just below the name and the casting cost is the beautifully rendered artwork, and uh, every edition and every card has a different artwork, which is very nice. Uh, just below that, it will tell you what type of card it is, whether it be a creature, uh, instant sorcery, enchantment, artifact, what have you. This one just so happens to be creature type elf druid. Uh, just after that, it will show you what set it came out in. And we'll get into sets a little bit later on with uh, card pricing. Uh, there's a body of the card which has its ability and a flavor text. The abilities, uh, they can be a tap ability like this one where you tap the card, turn it sideways, and it creates one forest for you. There's many, many, many abilities out there. that um, You can uh, pay life to... Uh, tap another creature to sacrifice this, to do this, to do that, you know, with the uh, synergies that we were talking about with uh, the EDH decks, the commander decks. So whenever you're building the decks, you mostly want to look at the abilities within the card. Uh, creature cards are the only ones that have a power and toughness, and those are the symbol, those are the numbers you're going to see at the bottom right. Uh, the first number is its power, that's its attacking power, and the second number is its defense, its toughness, how much damage it can take. Um, after that, uh, let's see, what else we have here? Um, I could bring up, while you're thinking, like, uh, different play styles and, like, kind of the names for them to sort of bring up synergies. Yeah. Like, um, a personal favorite of mine, and it's one I got Drew hooked on, his mono black deck, like Gordon was talking about, is, um, a lot of people call it Aristocrat, which is you basically want to kind of generate or play some creatures that you don't mind having die. And you basically want to either get someone to kill the creature for you, or the best way is to have uh, sacrifice outlets to get rid of your own creatures. So that way, when you sacrifice a creature, you'll get certain effects from certain cards. Um, good one I can bring up, and I can drop it in Discord, and it can get added to um, an Instagram post or however we want to share it, is um, a card called Blood Artisan. And what Blood Artisan does is whenever a creature dies on the battlefield, so either one on your controller, one you control, or one an opponent controls, um, it basically has target player loses one life, and you would gain one life. Now, if you are running that in an Aristocrats deck, 
and you're sacrificing a bunch of your own creatures, you're getting a bunch of procs of this. It's a great way to close out a game and win a game. Also a nice way to control a table, like with Drew's Mono Black deck. I have uh, Troll Thighs. Everyone else has to destroy a creature they own. Which, if you're thinking about synergies, has a lot of synergy with Blood Artisan out on the field. So there's Aristocrats, um, a playstyle that Gordon was doing in that first image he shared with us is a kind of, uh, it's called Landfall. So at the, the start of your turn, you generally want to be able to play a land. Uh, a land allows you to tap for mana, which allows you to pay for the mana cost that Eric was talking about earlier. And with Landfall, you basically want to play creatures or cards that let you play multiple lands a turn and you'll get multiple triggers of creatures that have effects when lands enter which is a really fun play style it's a really easy play style it's great for beginners it was a great one for gordon as you can see his board state as we call it is very nice but um you got anything else eric um we can get into how an uh just a single turn in magic will go uh, yeah yeah kind of broken down here Okay, so, um, right at the beginning of the game, you're going to draw seven cards. Okay, you look at your hand, see if you have enough land to at least make one play, you know, within the next two turns. Uh, but we can get into that a little bit differently. Let's see. So, right at the beginning phase, you're going to untap, upkeep, and draw. So, untap anything that you've tapped the previous turn, you turn it the right way. Meaning that it is now able to be used again during your turn. Upkeep is if there are cards that say uh, tap one land or else sacrifice this creature. That's a pretty basic term for it. And draw. Every turn you will draw at least one card. Moving into the main phase. This is where you get to play the cards. You get to look at your hand, see if you can afford to play any cards, if it's early game, late game whatever you have to see if you can afford the casting cost for instant sorceries uh creatures or enchantments uh after that you have the combat phase this is where you declare attackers your opponent will then declare blockers after that damage is dealt or if you have any uh, combat tricks if you want to pump your creatures with an instant which can be played at any time uh, sorceries can only be played on at your turn as well as creatures so if you have any combat tricks you want to give target creature plus three plus three with a giant growth that's whenever you would play a combat trick and then damage is dealt out accordingly as things have been blocked or left unblocked and there are cards that have triggered abilities like whatever this creature deals damage to a player you gain one life, or you draw a card, or you put a 1-1 one -one counter on this target creature. Uh, some of them are other abilities as uh, you deal combat damage to a player, uh, untap target creature. There's, there's, a, there's a good many uh, damage-triggering abilities. So uh, whenever you're looking at cards for your deck, see what you can come up with as far as fun things to do for that. And then uh, after combat's done, you can play another instant or sorcery if uh, that is allowed. 
And then you pass the turn, and the process repeats for your opponent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, like Eric brought up, there's a couple different card types. Like, we've really only talked about creatures, as you can see, but he brought up enchantments, sorceries, and instants. Um, so you basically have... So you have creatures, you have enchantments, you have artifacts that act as... They're called a permanents. Which it's something that once you play and pay the cost for it, it stays on the field until it's destroyed, until the game's over, or until you, you lose. Then you have your instants and your sorceries, which basically you're casting a spell for an effect. Think uh, Harry Potter. You can play a death spell to destroy target permanent, like a creature, an enchantment, or an artifact. You have spells that can fetch you more lands out of your library, so you can kind of get ahead of others. Um, and sorceries are basically your slow spells, as I call them. You can only play them in your main phase and your second main phase. And then your instants are fast spells. You can play them at any time. You can play them on someone else's turn. You can play them at the end of your turn, the beginning of your turn, as long as you have the mana open for it. And um, some sorceries synergize with creatures, some creatures synergize with instants. There's a lot of different abilities and effects in the game that can really change how turns go. Um, I really don't have much else to say about those. Um, Eric so pretty much ran down a perfect turn. Draw your seven, draw, play land, play something, hopefully hit somebody in the face and carry on. So the strategy of it all, it seems like it's... I hate to like say this because I don't want to like scare off newcomers, but it's it, the strategy level seems like it's very high. Like you have to be very familiar with your deck, almost like it's a, like an extension of yourself. Like you know what's in your hand, you know what's come, like what potentially could be coming up. That's the part for me that I kind of appreciate. It's like you, like Dylan, like how you said, you can tell a lot about somebody based on their deck it's almost like it's an extension of them does that make sense i don't know if that yeah no no that steven that makes that makes perfect sense and is a really good explanation of um kind of once you start learning how the game works you realize that more that oh just because someone built this a certain way doesn't mean I have to. Like, I played I played one of Lizette's deck, and I showed her a certain combo in it that she didn't think about, that she didn't see, and she's like, yeah. oh, I'll have to do that because that actually synergizes with other things. What deck was that? The uh, Merfolk deck. Um, I She didn't realize it, but I copied a Merfolk that makes... I copied a Merfolk and made five copies of it that makes um, all spells for me cost one less or something like that, so all my spells cost five less. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. And that's another thing with magic, and with how a game goes, is not every turn is going to be the same. 
you're gonna get a different set of seven. You're gonna draw a different card off the top. You're you're gonna play things differently just about every game, especially in lower level play and stuff like that, and lower level strategies. It's always random. It is a random card game still. Especially, no God. <laughs> already let a couple decks that were fast fast on the draw not slowly building up go ahead go on for too long and I just kind of lose myself in the game and, and that's another thing that comes with magic is you start to pick up a, reperto- a, a repertoire I want to say of cards and remembering things so you'll go against the deck you'll see someone play a certain card and go oh Crap, I know synergies with that card. I should probably deal with that card now before it's too late. Ooh. And you, you, you learn multiple strategies. Think of it like chess. You basically have to make certain plays at certain times to do different things. But when you get mana cuffed, you, there, you can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's another thing wait, of the wait, game. Wait. And is that a real term or is that a it, So we term? don't say mana cuffed, we say mana screwed. <laughs> okay, let's just say... He says cuck because we know Gordon likes that word. We won't get oh. into that conversation. Nah, at least not on air. Not on this show. That's why. This is the PG show. We'll save that one for speaking. Sure it is. <laughs> but, um, and that's another thing of deck building. And something I struggled with when I first started deck building was I wouldn't put enough mana base in. So I would, as Gordon says, get mana cucked. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't draw enough land or ever get to a point where I have enough to play cards. You you learn a balance after a while of playing and stuff like that. Okay. Um. Do you have any questions about a turn of magic at all from what Eric was saying or anything like that, Stephen? Seeing as um, you're the kind of mostly new blood. So, I I guess. I don't have questions, but this is like the resounding thought I have in my head. And again, you guys can make fun of me. Oh, Steven's giving out his compliments again. But like, quite honestly, this is, this is what I'm taking away. And I hope that those people that are listening that are kind of in a similar spot that I'm in, find yourself an Eric, a Dylan, a Drew, a Lizette. Because most... <laughs> How do I say it? Most times, communities like this, they gatekeep. And they're like, they don't welcome newcomers. Here's the resounding thing that I'm finding. With magic and with people like you guys, and that's why I say find you one of these people in your community, it seems like it's... You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be an expert off the bat. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to not build the right deck. You need people in your corner that are into this and just enjoy your company and want you to be a part of it too and share. It's like a community. They want to share the community. So I guess I don't really have questions. I just, I, I know that if Eric and I tomorrow were to go to his cousins, I was about to say his first name, but he's not on the show. So we're not going to do that. But like, I know even after all of these years, if Eric was to 
be like, hey, Steve, Sunday when you're off, we're going to go play again. Even after all these years and me being a fucking noob again, I know that this community is so welcoming that I wouldn't have that anxiety. It's it, This is like a very welcoming environment. Find people that are knowledgeable, butter up to them like Gordon did, and you'll get decks. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if that, that's making sense, but I guess what I'm saying is, is I, what I love about Magic is I feel like the people that I know that play it are so kind and so welcoming and so willing to teach. Is that a fair assessment? Very much so. Um, me and Eric talked about it before off camera. Uh, his experience with game shops is pretty much completely different than mine. My experience with game shop is I went from having pretty much three or four friends that I played magic with to like I said earlier, every Tuesday there's like a group of 10 or 14 of us in there playing Magic, playing different games with each other and stuff like that, compared to Eric, and we're in a brightly lit shop, a super friendly front of house manager as we call him now, compared to Eric, you told me you played in like a dingy basement of a shop or something like that, correct me if I'm wrong. It was beautiful. It was the den. <laughs> it was a basement of a secondhand retail store. And uh, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. It kind of really set the mood for, you know, what you were preparing to do with these. <laughs> Demonic cards, <laughs> as uh, cards. people would say. <laughs> exactly. It was, <laughs> it was really fun. You know, there was clicks in there, but everybody still got along. You know, the our shop owner, he was a great guy. Yeah, he always... He kept it running. He kept it safe for everybody. You know, that would be the place to, yeah, if you wanted to send yeah, your your 13 or 14 year old to be safe, they're going to be pretty safe there because yeah. you know, nobody's going to nobody's going to harass them. They're going to be picked up as you know the kid and you know treated like a child, you know, like one of their own family. It's a it's a really great place. So it, if don't take away anything else from this other than support your local stores. Yes, because mm -hmm. you know we always joke about uh, the the guy that brought the den. He's we always said he brought magic to Johnstown, and uh, oh, I love that. And uh, yeah, that I'll, I'll always support your local stores. I will always buy from my local vendors before I buy from any of the online shops, just because it might not be. It might not help them out if I buy a $2 card that much, but I'm also building a relationship with that person, whereas you don't build that relationship with an online card vendor. I mean, sure, it's a metric somewhere that somebody can measure and throw into an algorithm and like, oh, we suggest this card for Eric next time. But yeah. actually knowing my play style as opposed to these 50 other people that bought this card will buy this card. Yeah, you, Your shop... Your shop owner, he starts to learn you. The people you play against starts to learn you. And uh, like Dylan was saying, how he suggests, you know, cards and synergies for other decks. You know, the people you play against will say, you know, how about this? You know, have you considered putting a couple of these in that deck? You know, see how that synergy works for you. I mostly don't like to take suggestions because I have a very set way of how I want my decks to run. And I will burn 
<laughs> myself to the ground. You will die I, on your hill. I was going to say, Eric, this is officially your first chance to use the die on this hill statement. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to die on that hill. Of my deck will only work the way I say it works. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm so similar with that when it comes to suggestions. I'll take them into account, and then I'll end up finding something else that I slightly like better. Yeah. But, um, so my big thing with supporting local is a lot of times with your local shops starting out, especially, is they're too small to get a lot of new products. So the more they can mark down you coming in and purchasing something in that store, the better it is for your local shop because they can get larger orders of things. They can get more product in and they can bring a lot more to the community. Yeah. Yeah, the whole process with getting um, supported by Wizards of the Coast is uh, it's it's quite an ordeal. Yeah, uh, and I know my cousin. He started a shop to replace the den, the basement down there, and uh, we had to do some major updates to the place. And while I didn't have a hand in actually running the shop, uh, he kind of contracted me out as the. Well, I guess I had a saw and a hammer, so that made me qualified <laughs> enough to do remodeling. And you had two hands to swing. <laughs> yes, and I got a couple free drafts out of it, which I was really thankful for. I didn't have to pay for them. But it, it just building a place for people to go, to feel safe in this community of playing Magic the Gathering. And we would have D&D &D nights, and uh, there would just be a couple TVs down there kids would bring yeah you know, smash brothers they'd play that mm -hmm. and they'd bring their VR headset so our den it wasn't you know exclusively magic and most places aren't you know you can't really pigeonhole yourself into just being magic you have to really be a much more diverse shop to keep yourself going and, uh, you ever play warhammer i have not I have no. We want to talk about a game that hurts your brain. We won't get into it, but I've just recently learned how to play, and I didn't have enough dice. I had to buy more dice to be able to play. <laughs> um, can can I make a suggestion? Um, I would like to, in the description box of this episode, um, leave links to our preferred, because like, I guess. I never connected the dots in my own head about the small businesses that are, you know, operating on what we're talking, like this is potentially part of their livelihood. And what I would like to do is maybe link the websites to those, you know, card shops and game shops in our description box. And then for those of you that are listening that are, active members or active players or maybe not even necessarily magic but just have a card shop that you support or whether it's even because my comic store back in childhood had all of this they they like you said eric they diversified they did everything so maybe let's like start a trend where if you're listening to this whether it's on spotify or on youtube Link your local comic store. Give them some publicity. Give them some recognition because they're really helping, enabling a community that's really kind and really welcoming. And I don't know. Let's get kids off iPads and playing Magic the Gathering. <laughs> that's my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be a cool thing if we could start that with this episode is maybe supporting the small business that has supported us. 
I'd have to ask first because I know um the local game shop I go to the owner she um she also has a, a stream and stuff like that so I don't know if she wants uh random people linking her but I doubt she'd care I I'll, I could message her on Discord actually and find out Yeah I this. just I just mean to like just the general information of like store hours where you can find them not so much like anything doxing them or whatever just essentially like if somebody because you know we have a lot of pennsylvania she has, she has a big online following too yeah and, and maybe, um truthfully yeah maybe just give them a little promotion to the people that are doing the work to keep these types of things alive for generations to come definitely i love it i love it. i so um that brings a question to mind eric seeing as you're the most avid player here um are you bigger on collecting cards compared to playing with cards or are you kind of more like i rather play than just collect things uh i definitely like playing obviously I, i'm i'm very into edh uh i do a couple drafts every once in a while which is a, a very fun format i can explain that later on but um there's also something out there that um wizards of the coast released it's called the reserved list I don't know if any of you know anything about the reserved list. I do. Okay, you do. So, yeah. uh, for everybody <laughs> who's listening who doesn't know about the reserved list, Stephen Jay, Gordon, um, <laughs> Wizards of the Coast released a huge list of cards that they are promising to never, ever reprint again. So now oh. making these cards never going to be reprinted, their price has skyrocketed. So you can find their, like I said, their price is just skyrocketed. So whereas older cards from back in the day, I'm going to take Black Lotus here, the king of all cards. It used to be really expensive at like four or $5,000. It's jumped up to, uh, I see it now at almost $50,000. Yeah, I think the most expensive one that sold was like $57,000 oh. at an online bidding. Yeah, and that's... Oh, and my God. For a piece of cardboard. Yeah. yeah. And that that's card, a, uh, it, it kind of... a year's out. salary. And it's a card that's banned in most play. I think there's one format you can play it in. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, so the, these cards aren't really, like, playable cards. Some of them aren't even that good per se but just having the knowledge of no that they're never going to reprint these cards makes them valuable mm -hmm. and uh, you know finding one of these cards buying it putting it in your safe it's only going to go up in price yeah. yeah that's uh you you can look down through the reserved card list if you just uh, google oh, it on fact about the black lips i Um, Eric, I don't know if you know this, but fun fact. Dylan, Dylan, Dylan you're, you're cutting out, bud. Oh, okay. Am I... While you get that figured out, the exact cost of the Black Lotus that was sold was $511,900. Most expensive one sold to date. Wow. Wow. I fixed it. Good, good. But uh, what I was trying to say was... Uh, 
Eric, did you know, fun fact about the Black Lotus, since that's the one you chose, um, I believe originally when it first came out, it was a bulk card, or just a card that had, like, little value at all when it first came out. Yeah. And I, I don't think it was until, like, maybe five or six sets later, granted we're up to about 96 sets, I think a buddy of mine told me the other day. Yeah. I have. Um, that it jumped up in price, and then, like you said, with the reserved list, it just so many cards went crazy. Yeah, and they're they're ranging from alpha, beta, revised, uh, the whole way through. Uh, quite a lot here. I see Arabian like on the list. Six sets, all of Urzra's sets. Um, Stronghold. Yeah, Legends. There, there's a bunch of sets here that are from way back at the beginning of Magic the Gathering. That uh, you know, All these cards, they like I said, they might not be the best ones out there. Oh, I mean, you got the Dual Lands. Those are awesome. But, uh, yeah, and you know, they my might shop not... has like six of them. <laughs> they are, they are such detail. a sale. They're, they're such a good thing to get a hold of because they're only going to go up in price. Oh, yeah. Like I've I've heard stories of people taking this reserved list, you know, finding a card that's only worth like a dollar or two, and buying every copy they can find online, making the demand for it themselves. So now they control the majority of that card, and now they have just increased the value of the card by themselves. <laughs> so yeah, uh, you, a, you a buddy of mine did that. It. Yeah, <laughs> you, he you bought could... like. 200 copies of a nine cent card and then a week later the price went up to like 25 cents yeah <laughs> which doesn't sound a lot at first but if you think about it he could sell those same 200 cards and make a profit off of it technically exactly hmm. well gentlemen real quick before we uh begin the wrap-up of today's episode we do need to hear from our last two sponsors so, with that being said, let's take a quick pause, and we will be right back. Our last two sponsors of the day are Audible and CodeMonkey. Audible is a wonderful application in which you are able to combine your love of audiobooks and your love of podcasts all in one streamlined place. I have been using Audible for about two months now, and I have to say, the experience has been tremendous. I have found that being somebody that's constantly on the go, having one generalized place to find all of my entertainment, whether I'm traveling in the car or listening at work, it has really made my life a little bit easier because I can find everything I'm looking for in one spot and I'm never missing out. I'm staying on top of current things, current events with my podcasts, and I'm making progress on the books that I want to read. We here at Speakeasley Productions and Let's Be Nerds are proud to offer you a 30-day trial with a free credit. All you have to do is click the link in the description box below and you can sign up now and try it for yourself. Let us know what you think because we're pretty proud of this program. CodeMonkey is a very important application. We all know that children are the future, and CodeMonkey is taking that very seriously. With programs for both parents and teachers, this is a fun, interactive way for children to learn coding while gaming. 
Yes, you heard that right, coding. Teach them young and help them prepare for their future careers in this ever-changing technology environment. CodeMonkey is first in its class in its fun and educational software. We would love for you to give it a try. The link for the dis- the link for it will be in the description box below, and please let us know what you think. I am extremely proud to work with them because I believe that they have a very similar vision that I, I and my co-host share. Children are the future, and we need to educate them and get them better prepared for the job market ahead. With that being said, thank you Audible and thank you Code Monkey for making this podcast possible. And we are back from our final ad read. Okay, so gentlemen, I want to bring up something that occurred while prior to us even conceiving this episode. But there was an MTG mobile app, and it was exciting to me initially because it was an opportunity for me to maybe get back into it. And um, after like COVID and the lockdowns and all that, like I have like mobile games and stuff like it. You know, through Discord, I have these online little communities because, you know, when we were locked down, you had to find ways to connect with people and have fun, even, you know, being shut in in your house. So this wasn't around the same time as that. It was a little bit after, but MTG released this mobile app and I'm super excited for it. I was on the wait list and then it became available, downloaded it, and it kept crashing on me. And I finally got it to load, and it was like a mix between the app had problems, and then my phone was not updated to the right software. It was quite a predicament, and quite honestly, I um, deleted it, because it just seemed like it was more hassle than it was worth. And so I'm curious, I know you're both aware of the app, and I know you're both predominantly in-person in in-person players. So I kind of want to hear you, you guys' take on the app and what that looked like. Um. So I know with the app, it is. Um. I don't even think it's a year old yet, or just hit a year old for the mobile app. Um, I know it runs pretty smoothly on PC where it was originally released. Basically what Arena is, is, and I suggest it to people all the time who want to try out Magic without putting money into it, it is a digital version of one of the more popular um, competitive playstyles. Standard, I believe, is the main style of play on the game. So like a 60-card format instead of the 100-card format that me, Eric, and Gordon like to play. But um, I personally don't like it. I am a big fan of, like me and Eric were saying earlier, support your local game shops. Even through COVID, go and play if you're comfortable and stuff like that in your local game. Keep it alive. Um, I'd be really sad to see people move to online play only. When it comes to magic, I feel like you miss out on a lot of your interactions and stuff like that with it. I'm definitely more 
cardboard over a computer screen. But it is a good way to learn how to play Magic and the basic rulings on it and stuff like that. I won't lie. It's a great learning curve. Or learning tool, I should say. Okay. So they're not mutually exclusive. Like, essentially, like, play in person, but this could be a good um, beginning block, but don't live there. Like, get out and play in person when you're comfortable, when you're able, based on your community guidelines. Playing in person yeah. trumps the app, is what your take is. In my opinion, yes. But I'm also kind of... I hate to admit it, I am a social person when it comes to playing games and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I like the four-man pods of EDH compared to the one-on-one of standard play. A lot more fun, you get to see a lot more things, and then standard is just competitive, you're only playing to win compared to Commander plus EDH where you're, for the most part, playing to play. You're playing to play with your friends, you're not playing to win... You're just there to have fun. And Arena is way too competitive for me at times. And I really lose that love that I have for uh, Magic. And uh, one way I can put it is it's like people that are against Kindles compared to real books. Ah. It's that feeling for any book readers that are listening and stuff like that. That's my take on it. Really? Don't get me wrong, Arena's cool, but in in store play is so much better. I got you. Yeah. Eric, what's your thoughts? Uh, I'm definitely still more of a fan of being in person, but having the convenience of not having to leave your house and being able to play in the uh, standard format is very nice. Uh, they just released, uh, I believe it's uh, some sort of brawl format where it is an EDH style. Uh, I think I forget what they call it, but I know it's a brawl. Of I, some I think form. they call it brawl. I think you had it right. Yeah. So you can still play EDH. Uh, you still have to acquire your cards online through buying packs, but it's still a, a good bit cheaper. Uh, another nice thing is you can draft right from the... Um, right from the uh, MTG arena and you draft against actual other people and then you play against them as well. So uh, drafting is a much, much more competitive format than I would say even standard now because uh, beast. Yeah. With the way the um, with arena is going, it's starting to take some attention away from standard uh, that's changing card prices and all that fun jazz. But uh, draft is such a heavily competitive format, and uh, we didn't really go over draft, so I'm going to talk about it just for a second. I, I was going to say, yeah. we should probably explain what draft is now that I think about it. I'm like, I don't, don't yeah. even know if you know what it is, Gordon. I do not. Okay, so drafting. Uh, you buy, you have your pod, each person has three booster packs. You open up your first pack. You look at your cards. You pick one card out of your pack. You mm-hmm. keep that one card. You pass the rest of them to your left. And then you get a pack. 
you know, uh, a pack with minus one card in it from your right hand side and you pick another card. What you're trying to do is build a 40 card deck. So you go through your whole first pack, passing it to the left. You open up your second pack, pick a card, pass it to the right this time. Uh, and, you know, you're going to be getting packs coming around from your left hand side and picking cards that are going to play well in your deck. And there's a lot of different strategies to drafting. I suck at drafting. I am horrible at drafting. Um, but it, it's really you know, circumstantial. You know, the one of the bigger tournaments I got to play in, it was like $150 buy-in. So there was no way for me to pick a card to draft the most expensive cards in, in these packs and these sets to make up for what I lost. So I could build a competitive deck and say, yeah, I'm just going to ignore this you know, $10 card because that's nowhere near what my buy-in was. So I'm going to build a better deck to win the bigger prize, which is going to be way more than, you know, uh, just that one card or even the three cards, the three best cards out of your packs. So that's how draft works. And yeah, you build your 40 card deck and then you play people within your pod within the bracket. Uh, I definitely like arena for drafting. As, uh, if you get good enough at drafting, if you do well in the playing of it, you mm-hmm. actually earn in-game currencies, which can go towards your next draft. So I know my cousin, he's very good at draft. He's able to put like $20 in and he's able to draft for two to three months because he is very good at drafting. He's very good at playing. And every time he does do a draft, he makes enough in-game currency to continue going without having to pay any more out of pocket. Ah. So that's, he's, he's very fortunate. I would end up spending way too much money into that. So I just don't do it. (laughs) Only drafts I've really done that I really enjoyed was a chaos draft. Yeah. Those are very fun. Yeah, those can be fun, especially if you do it with the right group of friends. There can be some shenanigans there. Um, chaos drafting is normally when you draft, you all get packs from the same set. Chaos drafting is you get packs from a bunch of different sets. So you can get a lot of funny synergies and weird 40-card um, decks out of it. Okay. A lot less competitive than your standard drafting, which is why I like it. But, um, yeah, drafting's weird, in my opinion. I'm not going to lie. Like you said, I'm not good at it. Yeah, it takes a knack. And also having a familiarity with what set you are drafting definitely helps out. Like, I know whenever I went into this tournament, there were six drafts in two days. I didn't know anything about any of the sets that were going on. It was like Crimson Valor. the, oh, you, that was like the newest sets you did then, Crimson yeah. Vow, Midnight Hunt, and stuff like that. Yeah, and then there was that D and D set, the uh, Forgotten Realms or whatever. Yeah. Whatever. So I know nothing about them. I got out of buying packs and standard stuff after uh, Gate Crash, which was a pretty fun set. The second Ravnica like, block. What ten seven? Yeah, it's more than ten. Uh it's about ten sets ago. I want to say. Yeah, it's been a minute. <laughs> I didn't. I did Ravnica Alliance or Allegiance and um, the other one. That's back when they still did multi blocks. Yet again, yeah. another confusing thing for people who don't know Magic and how they release sets. 
Yeah, well, I do have a little bit of notage on that. So <laughs> with the format called standard that we were going into was um, uh, those are the current sets that are in circulation. And uh, they normally release them every three months apart. They'll have a big, your, your local shop will have a big pre-release party you know, a couple of days before the actual launch of them. And there'll be sealed events, so there'll be drafts, or you buy a pre-con deck and you go at each other you know, with these uh, cards, just this set specific. And you play for big prizes, promo cards, fun things like that. But uh, oh. uh, as of right now, well, from what I saw in my research, it's uh, 87 expansion sets and 21 core sets. And the core sets come out every July. And there's a, there's always big pre-release parties for those as well. Oh, yeah. But yeah, the uh, having pre-release parties is definitely super fun. You know, get with your local shops for those, see whenever those come out. My cousin just texted me about one that's going to be coming out February 12th is going to be a pre-release for... Yeah, we have a new Kamigawa set coming. Oh, very nice. Yeah, it's like set 10,000 years in the future from the last Kamigawa set, so it's going to be futuristic things. Ooh, might see vehicles again. That, there's a, They've already leaked a uh, vehicle, so I have a feeling there will be... a couple good ones. Ah, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Vehicle shenanigans! Yeah, That's I... another card type. Man, Magic has a lot going on, and it's really hard to fit it within an hour. I was gonna yeah. say, I think that we did the best we could without the visual aids and actually being able to walk people through it aside from just describing it. Um... I'm not opposed to maybe revisiting this. So, like, for those of you listening, um, leave us a comment and ask questions because you're not going to find a more supportive group than what's here. We're going to be willing to help you and maybe even help you find your local partner shop in your area. Uh, we're willing to do that. I think it's a very important thing that we discussed here. I think magic is a cultural phenomenon. I think it has brought a lot of people together. It's a common denominator. And as always, we here at Let's Be Nerds are trying to build a community, and I think it only makes sense that we talk about magic like this because what have they done? They have built an international community that is so kind and so welcoming. And I'm glad that we spent tonight sharing our stories and shedding light on how cool it is to be into MTG. So, if nobody else, anything else, Eric, Gordon, Dylan, anything else we want to add before we wrap up? Um, I don't think I have anything that I can keep within our time frame, to be honest. <laughs> um, well, definitely check out Magic, to be honest. That's yeah, all I got to say. And maybe if you have more, if there's more questions from those of you that are listening, maybe we'll do a part two and uh, dive into a little bit more into the technical side. Um, I don't know. I think it was a great episode. I think that, you know, any time that you can be a part of something that's larger than yourself, it's a rewarding experience, and it seems like MTG's community really offers that. So, with that being said, that brings us to the end of this episode. We want to thank Anchor. We want to thank Audible. We want to thank both of our sponsors. And we will see you guys in the next one.
Let's Be Nerds is hosted and executive produced by Gordon Bryant and me, Stephen J. McLean. Let's Be Nerds is a production of Speakeasy Productions. Our social media manager is Kylie Gregg. Our managing producer and co-host is Lizette Ayala. Today's guest host was Robert Van Jacobs. You can follow him on all social media platforms at Bobby Dub Music. To keep up with the latest on Let's Be Nerds, join our Discord server linked in the description box below. Follow us on Instagram at Let's Be Nerds Pod or find us on Twitter at Let's the Letter B Nerds.